You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking Rates and Lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, everyone. This is Rico Mohammed coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. Have a little bit of a surprise special guest going to join us tonight. Uh, we'll get to him in just a second, but uh, we're going to start off as we normally do with the USDA fruit and vegetable truck rate report for this week. And this week's report, sadly, the report is much of the same. Uh, really, no markets that are showing any slight shortages or shortages for any trucks. Uh, got a couple of markets that are showing slight sur- slight surpluses. I have to slow down when I'm saying that. Those markets are San Luis Valley, Colorado, New York, and Central Wisconsin. Those areas are showing slight uh, surpluses of trucks for those markets and the fruits and vegetables that are coming out of those markets. Uh, first report coming in, there's an uh, saturation of trucks in Florida uh, for the potato market that's down in Florida, so it's showing a, a surplus down in that area for the potatoes that are getting ready to start moving out of Florida. So those are all areas that uh, if you are in those areas, you might want to try to be advised before you get there, try to take your backhaul with you. If not, uh, areas that you might want to possibly avoid, especially if you're working the spot market. Totally different if you have uh, established customer bases in those places. You, know, you you will probably be just fine according to your contracts. So with no further ado, we will move on over to the DAT trend lines for this week. Uh, January 31st through February 6th is the reporting period of this DAT trend lines. And flatbed demand has improved over the last week. And flatbed rates held steady, but van and reefers both lost traction. Uh, diesel prices fell three cents to just under two dollars and one cents per gallon, an eleven-year low. So as fuel prices continue to continue their trend downward, also seeing an effect with uh, rates as well staying stagnant and staying low. So we're going to move on into the van, um, van national van demand and capacity report. And the van load postings declined 14% last week, while truck postings increased 4%. So the load-to-truck ratio fell 17% from 1.7 down to 1.4 loads per truck. The national average van rate dropped three cents last week down to a dollar sixty two cents per mile on average as the national average. Looking back at about the same time uh, during last month, van loads postings were down fourteen percent in January. When compared to the previous month, truck postings fell four percent, which dropped the load to truck ratio down to two point one from one point nine loads per truck. Compared to January of 2015, the ratio is down by 32%. Moving on over into the 
van rates for the week of January 31st through February 6th. Van rates fell three cents to 162 per mile last week. The decline included a one cent drop in the average fuel surcharge. Rates rose on high volume lanes originating out of Denver, Houston, and Atlanta. The outbound rates declined in Chicago and Philadelphia. Um, once again, looking back at this time frame, as far as the rates were concerned, in January of last month, the national average van rate fell five cents in January to one sixty six per mile due partially to a $0.03 decline in the fuel surcharge compared to January of 2015. Last month's rates lost $0.27, including $0.15 drop in the fuel surcharge. Taking a look around the country over the past week for national van rates, beginning off in the northeastern corridor of the country, we have Philadelphia, Pennsylvania checking in, showing an average rate for dry vans at $1.73 per mile up in the northeastern portion. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, we have Atlanta, Georgia checking in, showing an average rate for dry vans at $1.64 per mile. Setting the high water mark out of the Midwest and across the country, uh, Chicago, Illinois checks in, showing an average rate for dry vans at $1.88 per mile. Moving down to the south central portion of the United States, we have Dallas, Texas checking in, showing an average rate of $1.50 per mile for dry vans. And moving out west on the left coast, Los Angeles, California checks in, showing average rates for dry vans at $1.82 per mile. Moving on over into the flatbed national demand and capacity report, flatbed low volume was up 6% while capacity increased less than 1%. That yielded a 6% increase in the national load-to-truck ratio from 8.3 up to 8.7 loads per truck. The national average flatbed rate held steady at $1.85 per mile. Looking back at this time frame of last month, flatbed load postings rose 10% in January, while compared to December, the truck postings declined 4%. As a result, the load-to-truck ratio for the month of February month rose 14%, from 7.5 to 8.6 loads per truck. Compared to January of 2015, the ratio was down by 31%. Moving on over and looking at the U.S. flatbed rates, for the 31st through 31st, January 31st through February 6th, flatbed spot market rates held steady last week at a national average of $1.85 per mile, despite a $0.01 drop in the average fuel surcharge. The load-to-truck ratio increased 6% to 8.7 loads per truck. Looking back in the month of January, the national average rate for flatbeds fell $0.05 cents in January compared to the previous month. At $1.88 per mile, the total rate was down $0.33, 33 cents compared to the average rate in January of 2015. Included in that $0.33 cents is an $0.18 cents decline over the overall fuel surcharge. Taking a look across the country, starting off in the northeastern portion of the United States and actually setting the benchmark across the country, Harrisburg checks in showing an average rate for flatbeds at $2.83 per mile. 
Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, Atlanta, Georgia checks in showing an average rate of an even $2 per mile for flatbed freight. Moving up into the Midwest, we have Rock Island checking in showing an average rate for flatbeds at $2.52 per mile. Moving down into the south central portion of the United States, we have Houston, Texas checking in showing an average rate of $1.77 per mile. Out west, we have Phoenix, Arizona checking in showing an average rate of $1.48 per mile for flatbeds. Moving on and wrapping, getting ready to wrap up this week's trend lines report from DAT. The reefer segment for the National uh, Demand and Capacity Report, reefer load postings lost 11% and truck postings added 1% last week. As a result, the load-to-truck ratio fell 12% from 3.8 to 3.4 loads per truck. The national average reefer rate declined $0.03 down to $1.85 per mile. Reefer spot market volume declined 13% in January compared to December, and capacity was down 6%. The resulting load-to-truck ratio fell 8% from 4.9 to 4.5 loads per truck in January. Compared to the demand of January of 2015, the ratio has fallen 50%. So, Let's take a look and see how the U.S. reefer rates have performed over the previous week. And on the spot market, reefer rates has fallen three cents last week to down to a dollar eighty-five cents per mile. That includes a one cent drop in the fuel surcharge compared to the previous week. The load to truck ratio has declined twelve percent over that time span. Looking back to the month of January. The national average spot market reefer rates fell six six cents down from December to January, partially due to a four cents decline in the average fuel surcharge at a dollar ninety cents per mile. The rate was down thirty two percent thirty two cents. I'm sorry, thirty two cents compared to January of 2015, including a seventeen cents drop in the fuel surcharge over that time span. Looking at the rates across the country, beginning in the northeastern portion of the United States, Elizabeth, New Jersey checks in, showing an average rate for reefers at $1.59 per mile. Down in the southeastern portion of the United States, Lakeland, Florida checks in, showing an average rate for reefers at $1.40 per mile. Moving up into the midwestern portion of the United States, Green Bay, Wisconsin, always leading the charge, seems like, in the reefer segment showing an average rate of $2.52 per mile coming out of Green Bay, Wisconsin, on the spot market. Moving down to the south-central portion of the United States, McAllen, Texas, the Rio Grande, is showing an average rate of $1.78 per mile coming out of McAllen, Texas. And out on the West Coast, wrapping up the report, Fresno, California checks in, showing an average rate for reefers, at $1.81 per mile. And that pretty much wraps up this week's DAT. And I see that our special surprise guest, not his normal time to join us, but he gave me a call earlier today and said he had a little time and would like to come in and talk with us. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome 
our special guest, Chuck Snow, back to the program this evening. Chuck, are you there? I'm here, Rico. Good deal, good deal. How are you this week? We're we're doing well. How are you doing, buddy? I can't complain. Uh, you know, just trying to get out here and beat some bushes and see if we can get some rabbits to run out so we can shoot at something. It's uh, been <laughs> slim picking. Yeah, some days it is, you know. It's kind of like trying to hunt rabbits in a Walmart parking lot. <laughs> yes, it's it's been slim pickings, and I, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but, uh, you know, I've been looking at a lot of these little economic indicators and stuff, and I've been kind of trying to share some of this information on the uh, Rates and Lanes Facebook page, and uh just want to read a real quick little portion of a report that I came across. I, I tried to send you a link to this report. Um, and just digging in, it says factory orders fell 2.9% in December, the fourth decline in the last five months. Durable goods orders fell 5%, and non-durable goods orders fell by 0.8%. Non-defensive capital goods or orders, excluding aircraft, declined 4.3%. Factory shipments fell 1.4% in December, the sixth consecutive month for the for this decline. Inventories rose by 0.2%. So, you know, I don't want to just labor the point, but just, you know, uh, tell you, it's, it, it's and and trucking is a bellwether, you know, the bell cow for some, some of these things, and, and it's getting real tight out here. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it, Rico. Uh, I'm hearing it in, um, you know, I'm hearing it in, in the rates. Um, we're a little... You know, Canada's a little bit different than uh, than the U.S. because it's just a different animal. But believe me, overall, um, you know, things aren't rosy overall in Canada. Um, and it seems in both countries, the the news media, they're feeding us little bits of bad news at a time. Nobody is coming out and just painting a horrendous picture because they did that um, not during the last recession, even the one before that. I think the media may have fueled the recession uh, by just saying, hey, you know, it's real bad, and people stop buying. So what I've noticed in this last one is, yeah, you know, if you, if you look around, you'll see numbers down, but nobody's coming right out and saying, hey, you know, we're in a full-blown recession in either country. But, you know, you can look at the freight volumes um, you look at the the rates for you know per mile and everything else. You know, I I heard a dollar forty or something out of Florida. Uh, I shake my head. You know, like we shouldn't be talking that way. But that's the business we're in. Um, so we've got to be and, and realistic. Honest, which I think I think I think probably some of our listeners that are down in the Florida area that are trying to get out of there will probably tell you that a dollar forty is a little ambitious. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know what? Parts and, of Florida. You're right. Uh, you know, we've cut way, way back on how much equipment we send into Florida uh, of our own assets um, because it just – and Florida is a great example. If you don't have um, – if you've got steady business out of there, and there is some business to be had out of Florida that's steady. It's pretty steady business if you're set up for it. But to go in there right. and just try to put it – you know, hope you're going to get a load of potatoes or corn or whatever – uh, good luck with that, um, because it's just um, if you don't have a steady customer that's buying produce in Florida all the time, or a great relationship with a strong broker that's got a presence, 
you're not going to do well in that particular market. You know, it's. I think the. Um, I think Florida has seen better times when it comes to uh, loading pr- uh, produce trucks. Uh, they're just not producing the amount of agriculture I think that they used to at one time. Right, and I just want to remind our listeners uh, that I'm kind of remiss in doing that. But uh, if you have any questions for myself or Chuck, you can go ahead and press the number one that puts you in the call queue, and that lets us know that you uh, want to uh, maybe come in and, and participate in the conversation. Uh, also, Chuck, there's another thing that you know we I kind of uh, um, I kind of wrote it off a little bit. Uh, I, I thought it was an interesting story at the beginning, but I'm starting to see. Um, and it's still not quite catching uh, as much traction as as it probably should, but I'm starting to see that it's still hanging around and lingering around, and that's what we, uh, something, a subject that we talked about a few months back, and that's the Uberization of trucking. Uh, I'm starting to see that this thing may not be uh, as much of a pie in the sky as, as some people once said it would be. Uh, I'm starting to see that it's, it's it actually might be starting to catch on in some segments. What you know? Uh, what are you hearing on this front? Well, I think that there's uh, there's certainly some merit for it, and there's somebody out in the West that has built his his model on that. Um, and I think that the the smaller shippers uh, will probably go for it. I don't think you're going to see any of the the voluminous Fortune 500 freight shippers. Um, just tender a load to a an Uber type system. Uh, there's not enough checks and balances, and you know your your big volumes of freight are are still tendered by those great big Fortune 500 companies, the you know the Procter and Gamble's of the world, and and Tyson Foods and those companies. I can't imagine for the life of me um, those guys tendering work. To, to an Uber-type environment. They will tender work to a good broker, but I can tell you from my own experience wearing a broker hat that if you're going to get work from those companies, your processes for vetting carriers had better be crisp. They just won't let anybody haul their freight through your system. So, yeah, there's, there's definitely, you know, for your small shippers, um, there's definitely a, uh, I think there's a gravity towards uh, an Ubertization because right now we're going into, um, you know, so the pundits say we're, we're going to go into some tough times and it may be a great way to save money. And cost cutting is what it's all about. Um, and people will gravitate towards alternative transportation, uh, anything to really save money. Um, during tough times, budgets are tough. So this may be a, you know, it may be a great start for a, an Uber type company. Um, you know, it's definitely uh, there's definitely some merit to it. I could see it. I can definitely see it happening. And another thing that keeps making headlines is still, and you know, you, you talk to your average driver out here and really don't see it as such, um, but they're still talking about making headlines, this driver shortage. Um, with you being a fleet owner and also having uh, your brokerage, what's your stand? What's your what's your uh, take on this driver shortage? Every time we, you know, we keep, the industry's got a horseshoe up as an industry 
we have a horseshoe up our rear ends because every time this driver shortage thing starts to get really critical, um, we end up getting saved by bad by a bad economy. And of course, when you have a bad economy, you have drivers that are either coming back into the industry because they've lost their job or uh, doing something else or have decided they're not going to leave um, or people that have never driven a truck before uh, get trained and uh, they come into the industry because there's still a demand. So there's, you know, there's definitely, there's a driver shortage looming, but the industry may have gotten a reprieve for now. Um, you know, guys are still willing to do it because it's a job. And if your factory closes down or, you know, your office closes down, and there are, you know, every time you and I talk, I remember uh, when we talked about a month ago, that was Freightliner that uh, that laid off, uh, I think, 850 people in the Carolinas. And last time we talked, it was Volvo that laid off 1,000 people uh, somewhere in Virginia. And, and other and, OEMs, uh, and, today, and even today they, I just saw that Sears, Today, I just saw that Sears and Roebuck is closing 50 stores. That's, you know, um, and Walmart's closing 150 stores. And one of the things I read about Walmart's closure of 150 stores is because the the fact that they had to raise their minimum wage affected their profit margin so badly that they had no choice. Um, one thing I have heard, there's a whole bunch of things going on, and I think that it's a busy time in general, just in our world. We have um, the whole retail thing, the, this big retail environment that you and I and our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents all grew up with, it's changing. You've got, you know, you've got online shopping, you know, this Amazon uh, system. And I'm not a – and I'll go on record. At this point, I'm not a big fan of Amazon um, – for a lot of reasons, and um, number one, for from a personal point, I am the sort of guy that likes to go into the store and try on a you know a shirt or a pair of pants or or whatever it is. Um, but I do understand that the the millennials, the the younger generation, uh, they prefer clicks to bricks, as they say. And this is a culmination of uh, it's a huge change that we're going through right now. And the retailers, even the good retailers, the, the Walmarts and, and the Sears and, uh, and all the rest of them, they can't keep up with the change, and they're having to close stores, and they've got to reinvent themselves in this retail market. And that's got an impact on, on all of us in the trucking business because I'm finding myself as a, as a large broker and, a, and a, I would say a small carrier – um, I can't even approach Amazon. If you go to approach Amazon, you do it via email, and you send them a little blurb, and they tell you to, they're not interested. You don't even get a chance for a sit-down. And I, the one thing I will say about Walmart, love them or hate them, you can get a sit-down there. You may not be able to work with them because the lanes don't work or you're not big enough or whatever, but they will sit down and talk to you. And so will a lot of the other retailers. And you don't have that with some of these um, online outfits, and that's what scares me about you know for our industries. So, and they need to because Amazon is so big; they're aligning themselves with great big huge carriers. 
And those are the guys that are getting the work. So we're all going to hurt as a result of not getting those that freight for those 150 Walmart stores. Even though we may not haul for Walmart, we may haul for one of their suppliers. You know, whether it's store fixtures or whatever it is, it's all connected. The dots are connected throughout the line. And right. well, I think that that's part of the pain that everybody that has trucks in, and even those that don't, that are marketing um, our services for us, they're all feeling it uh, because there's, there's a change. Um, you know, people don't want to go to um, shopping malls anymore. You know, there's been several shopping malls in your country that have closed up. I saw a special on it on um, six, it was 60 Minutes or Sunday morning or something a few months ago. So that whole thing is changing with retail, and that's got an effect, a huge effect on the supply chain network that we're all involved with. Right, right. Well, we got a couple people got their hands raised uh, there, Chuck, so we're going to jump in and see if we can get a couple of people mixed in here with us. Let's go to Bruce. Right. Bruce is calling in. Bruce, you're on live with Rico and Chuck. How can we help? Good evening, Rico. Good evening, Chuck. Hi, Bruce. Good evening, Bruce. Hey, uh, you mentioned the Uber concept, and for for one of me guys like me who's plus 55 and never needed a cab in my life, explain to me how the Uber system would work in trucking. And you know, I'm I'm interested if it's an opportunity, but I'm also, you know, more curious on what the concept really is. It would really, Rico, uh, I'll try to take this one. Really what it is, you would sign up your truck uh, to almost like a electronic load board, and you would be vetted by Uber or whoever, and let's say you happen to have a truck in Charlotte, North Carolina, and there was a shipper in Charlotte, and he needed a load taken from Charlotte to uh, Casper, Wyoming, and you would see that this load was available, and you would agree to take it, and it's all done on an app, on a phone app basically, and uh, it's a load board really on your on your phone app, and you would say, well, I'll take this load for you know a dollar fifty a mile, and again, it's going to come down to uh, the same as the Uber cars; it's all supply and demand. So if there is nobody that wants to go uh, to Wyoming and you set a price of $3 a mile and nobody else wants it because it's not a good lane for anyone, you'll get your $3 a mile. But if for some god-awful reason everybody wants to go to Wyoming, then the price goes down to a dollar a mile. And it's yeah. a live – it works, I believe, as a live freight auction because that's how the cars work. You pay more for an Uber cab when – on New Year's Eve, when everybody has had right. a couple of drinks and they, they don't want to drive, so you will pay $100 for the cab ride that you would pay uh, $5 for on a Friday morning when nobody wants to go in that lane. And it's the same thing. You're also guaranteed payment. That's the other nice thing. You uh, you bill Uber like automatically. You're, you don't even bill them. They just deposit the money into your account, and the shipper that uses you, he pays Uber. So they are a middleman. They're basically a super broker. But do they have broker right. authority and, and all the paperwork? They're going to have to. Now, they're running into 
um, they're running into a little bit of a war up here in Canada um, and the, because of their taxi service. And it's in litigation right now, and some cities are fighting them, and some cities are, are just um, relenting and they're giving in. Because at the end of the day, they're going to need, according to my understanding of U.S. law, in order to act as a third party, they're going to need to have a brokerage license. And I don't think that'll be a problem for them, but they can't act without one. Right. And, and one of the things that they're targeting, the, the, the majority of the people that they're targeting are is the majority of the trucking industry, which is the uh, guys from one to ten trucks. You know, that makes up the majority of the capacity that is out here. So those are the people that um, that a lot of these um, electronic, uh, the Uber type um, services, they, they those are the people that they are targeting. Um and they're trying to go on and, and get some of these uh, major shippers to kind of buy into the concept. And just like, you know, it's, it's one of those slow processes. It's just like, um, you know, a lot of major companies were slow to the social media aspect. Uh, but now you have certain, some companies have entire departments devoted to social media campaigns and so on and so forth. Uh, they're, they're starting to see that this may be a significant way to to cut costs as far as, uh, you know, they're trying to eliminate and cut the broker out uh, and, and get a better get a better price point. But the broker provides a good service, like Chuck was indicating before, that, you know, the, the broker also provides a service to making sure that he has uh, quality embedded carriers beyond just the paperwork because, you know, the if you got just paperwork just sitting there, then uh, you, you paperwork can can kind of lead you astray and and, and make you uh, think you have safety when actually someone's actually got some forgery going on and and then you know how does that thing look once the crap hits the fan so to speak? You know who who do you call on? Who's going to be responsible? Uh, who's going to be held accountable if everything is is ran through just a, a click and a, a click of a button on a telephone? That's the big problem with this, Rico. It's not where you're taking an Uber cab and you're riding from one end of your city to the other. There's, first of all, you've got the, uh, in trucking, you actually have the transfer of title. And I think people right. forget that. When we, and I want to remind everybody out there that one of the foundations of our industry is that bill of lading. And under the bill of lading, when we sign a bill of lading, we are basically taking the title is being transferred from one party to another through us. And there's a huge right. responsibility on the part of the trucker because those goods are basically his while he's under care and control. And this is where I think the lawyers are going to have a field to buy, you know, make a lot of money and buy a whole bunch more sailboats because it kind of it crosses some lines here, um, and I think also I think that's where the apprehension is going to come from any of the large shippers to utilize the service. It took a long time for large shippers to feel comfortable using brokers, and the reason they use brokers is number one to manage their volume. They're they're really um, instead of having their own traffic department, they'll use a uh, the services of a freight broker. But when there's a question, when there's a problem, 
that broker had better stand up and take some responsibility. And you're not going to have that with Uber. Even the questions that will come up, you're dealing with an app, okay? Where's my truck? He's three hours late. I've got a crew of guys standing by. You know, having a bad, you know, three thumbs down for Billy the trucker because he kept the whole crew waiting for um, for a half a day and he gets a bad rap over it, that's not enough of a punishment uh, for the, that man's cost uh, for having a, a bunch of uh, men standing by waiting for a, a rush load at a construction site. And I just think there's too many moving parts for this thing to take off moving freight the way it does moving people. Because your, your transaction with a, um, with a human being is pretty quick. You know, it's, you know, from one end of town to the other, it's an hour maybe at the most where this is a lot different. You know, this is over days and it's somebody's property. So I think it it may happen, but I think it's going to be very slow um, until it really takes off if it ever does. And is Uber going to be willing? I think that, I think the biggest caveat, the thing that, that I believe that now, um, you know, th- th- there's definitely the technology is starting to get to a point to where something like this is, is possible. It's just the the really getting down into the finer points of it all and, and seeing how you can tune those things up to before it can actually be a real viable option. I think the possibilities are definitely showing, especially with the smartphone technology and, and GPS technology and you actually knowing where trucks are, um, you know, as to versus where your load is and where it's got to move to. I think that that's all um, the technology is allowing for these advances to take place, but it's just that, like we were saying, just these, these finer points and finer details, those are the things that aren't quite ready for prime time just yet. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and I think that... Uh, Sure, Bruce, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, there was, on one of the Facebook pages here six months or a year ago, there was a company trying to set up an online, you know, brokerage-type deal where trucks, you know, they were trying to line up shippers and carriers and cut out the middleman. And I've also been approached by a company that is seeming to want to do kind of the same thing with their own uh, but it goes through a website versus a uh, a phone app at this point. But you know, I've signed, you know, I've posted myself numerous times on that where I'm empty or when I'm going to be empty, and you know, it's it's been cricket so far as to anybody contacting me, you know, wanting my services. So I just, you know, I I guess I'm always skeptical of something new like that. But on the other hand, if it has opportunities, a guy has to, you know, take a look at it and see if it works too bruce i got to tell you something um as far as those types of uh systems where you're going to have shipper direct to um to trucker it's a great it's a great idea i remember many years ago when my son was in business school and him and I were doing some uh, mundane job around the farm here. Uh, I think we were raking leaves or something, having this great conversation, and did a business plan for this for, for this very idea about 10 years ago. And 
at the end of the day, what we did come up with was there was one problem. And that problem was, how the hell are you going to market this thing to enough shippers in order to get traction? Because you need critical mass. And since that conversation that him and I had that Sunday, there have been uh, two companies set up here in Canada, and they both flopped for that same reason. Well, the last one that did it was called Freightopolis. It was a great idea. And the only way you could even dream of doing it is you would have to, somebody with a lot of money would have to buy a large brokerage company and take that, those brokerage accounts and put them in and take that sales force from that brokerage um, company and put them on the street to do this. And it would take too much money. Well, that was the the downfall of one system that was advertising on Facebook is that they had truckers, but they were never getting shippers. And, got, and That's right. And there was a lot of commentary on Facebook about, well, we're looking, you got all the trucks you need, but, but we don't have any freight. So what's the good of it? And it, and it imploded, like you said, everything else that's, you know. Exactly, another, Bruce, because yeah. what happens is you've got a criti- you need critical mass on both ends, uh, supply right. and demand. And you've got the critical mass of supply because truckers are in a group. There's a group of truckers, whether it's a Facebook page or whatever it is. You know, in the old days, brokers used to hang out at truck stops and and right. make their deals there. Um, but there was a critical mass of truckers. And right. it's hard to get that critical mass of shippers, hence the, the failure of this concept. You know, it's well, taken... You know, if you look at a company like C.H. Robinson, who is behemoth, it's taken them over 100 years to build what they have. Right. With offices around the world. So, you know, you're not going to do that no matter what in a couple of years. You'll just burn through money. Well, that was the other issue this company was having is that the shippers are saying, well, we need trucks. Well, then the truckers were saying, well, we need shippers. And like you said, it's, you know, it might be a concept that over 30 or 40 years, someone that's established that has freight can make happen, but it's probably not going to happen in 30 days like the assumption is people want it to happen. No, it can't because it, it takes, I sell freight every day of my life and I sell to shippers and I can tell you, at no time is it an easy sell. You've got a lot of competition out there. And then when you come up with a new concept like that, people are leery. Sure. Well, it's Again, like my dad it's like always said. You know, it's like my dad said, if, it's, if it would be that easy, everybody would be doing it. That's right. <laughs> and you know what, Absolutely. Bruce? That's what's happened to trucking lately. A lot of people thought it was real easy, so everybody started doing it. And now all of a sudden there's too many trucks out there, not enough freight. Yeah, I agree. And, Let me and that, 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 that kind of speaks to the point that I was going to make a little earlier. You just hit the nail on the head, in my opinion, that Chuck, is that that's kind of our problem right now as far as dealing with the spot market or even in the contracted market. We got a bunch of people out here that are that are jumped in and have and we've got a little bit of saturation going on and the rates are being really depressed because I in my honest and humble opinion, we got a lot of people out here that don't know what they're doing, don't know what costs are, don't know what's involved in running a trucking company and they're just taking 
you know, the the first thing, the first offer that that a broker says to them. And one of the things that that I've always heard, and you know, you read any kind of negotiating book or anything, that you know. If you take the very first offer, then you're probably leaving money on the table. A negotiation is supposed to be a little bit of give and take on both parties' part. And whenever you don't understand the different nuances when it comes to these different things, with the whether it be the, the lanes that you're running and the rates that's associated with that lane, then you, you are at a disadvantage. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do here as far as, you know, just try to help educate people as best we can through our limited resources that we have through this podcast, but getting people out there available information to understand what's going on with rates and with lanes and, and how to properly uh, understand their costs when it comes to running their trucking companies. Um, that's that's a critical point that, you know, a lot of people are just, you know, just trying to put food on the table and, well, I'll take this load a day for $500 when the load actually should be paying 1000 um, you know, Rico, it's funny you say that. Uh, I got into a discussion today uh, with one of my teams, and one of our vice presidents said, you know, he said, because uh, I said something along the same, you know, I talked about uh, a project we're working on, and I said, well, I said, I don't think that the uh, some of the big guys are going to want to participate. And uh, I said, you know, the prices are going to be too low for those guys that are buying $200,000 trucks, because that's how much a, a new truck is up in Canada right now. Uh, you know, if you're looking at something like a, a new Western Star or something, uh, you're close to $200,000, believe it or not. And I said, you know, those guys are, you know, there's no way they're going to participate. And he said, you're wrong. He said, people are now, even the big guys, are desperate for certain lanes to reposition equipment. You know, we're going back to that thing with backhauls, but now the front hall is the backhaul. And there are certain areas where people have to get to because of contractual obligations, and they will, rather than lose that contract, they will take freight at well under their cost. And that's what's so dangerous to our industry, but that's, you know what, it's a free market, and you've got to figure out how how to operate. And I think that the people that we surround ourselves with, especially on this show and in, in, in the whole group, um, I think that they get that, and I think that they're they're nimble. Um, where some of the the larger companies and mid-sized companies, um, they don't have the flexibility that we do, and I think that's our that's one of our strengths. All of us, um, I think we can we will be able to weather this storm a lot better than others for the fact that we are nimble. Rico, can I ask you right, another question, right. Chuck? Sure, you, sure, we got you up live, Bruce. You got the floor. Go ahead. Okay, uh, Chuck, you're obviously a Canadian citizen, so you have a different perspective of the U.S. political structure. I remember in 2008 is when our economy infamously tanked, you know, to what was called the the Great Recession, almost a depression. And I remember during the whole year of 2008, all you heard was about how bad the economy was and how it was getting horrible, and it was all former President Bush's fault if they could pin it on him. And like Rico said earlier, or you said, that now you think the information is being piecemealed out at a slower pace and made that... uh, 
the connection maybe that they don't want us to think the economy is as bad as it is. Do you see that happening from a Canadian perspective that that our news media has that much control, or do we just all need to turn off our satellite radios and listen to AM crackle again and, and go about doing our jobs and not worry so much about the election? Well, the election is, you know, maybe the election is probably the, the safe haven this year and nothing's, uh, nothing bad's going to happen, real bad's going to happen until November because it doesn't look good on anybody if things come to a crash during an election. Um, and, yeah, you know what, we're, the media does have in both countries, uh, they've got a, a lot of control, they're fed information, and, and they're self, you know what, they're, um, they're looking after their self-interest too. Um, when there's a recession, everybody hurts. Um, advertise, car, you know, car dealers don't advertise. Right. Uh, housing, you know, uh, housing starts, there's no, uh, you know, there's no pages of houses for sale and condos for sale. Um, all that comes to a stop because people stop spending money. So as long as people spend money, and that's what they're talking about up here in Canada, because we've gotten hit so hard here because of oil. Because as I've mentioned before on this show and in my blog, Canada has a petrodollar. And if you see what oil has done, it's taken our dollar with it. So our dollar is very, very weak um, at this point. And, you know, it's had a, uh, it's had a real negative uh, effect on a lot of Canadians. Some Canadians have done really well with it. Those that export to the United States, uh, those guys are doing really well. But as for the rest of the uh, country that doesn't, people are, you know, we're certainly feeling it in the grocery store because things are so expensive. Because produce is always bought, sold, and trucked in U.S. funds, which is well over a 30% difference in dollar. So, yeah, it's not to anybody's advantage um, if people stop spending money. And money just goes around, you know, and that's why governments sometimes – in their in their wisdom, will keep things going, and they'll have in infrastructure programs because they basically print money and build bridges. And the guys that are building the bridges are spending money, and they're spending money somewhere else. And as long as the money goes around in circles, it's like a game of musical chairs, and it's great until the music stops, mm-hmm. or till the press runs out of ink. Yes, sir. <laughs> How true, Bruce. Don't see, yeah. don't see that happening no. anytime. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we just keep devaluing the dollar, which then makes it worth less and worth less, and and it makes well. Like you were saying, you're right. The good thing about the Americans devaluating their dollar is it makes American-made products uh, very attractive to people in a, in other countries. So you can export those those products to places like Europe and even to Asia. Yeah. And, and one thing about America, you people uh, still have a good manufacturing base. What was that again, Chuck? Yeah, Bruce, you might want in, you might want to check United out. United States still has a good manufacturing base. Mhm. I put an article up um from the um Transportation Intelligence Blog, uh, Controlling the Grease Pig. I put that up today, uh, Bruce. You might want to check that out. Very, very interesting read. 
uh, it's up on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page. And it talks about uh, some of the things that you talked about there uh, going back to 2008 and the government regulations and everything that has happened since then and has the government overregulated and prevented the economy from being able to make a recovery uh, that it could have probably made without as much regulation that they've put in place. But I, th- I found it was a really intriguing article. You might want to go check that one out if you get a chance. It's up on the uh, Rachel Lane's Facebook page. Uh, we put that up a little earlier today. Um, and let's see here. I thought we had someone else that had their hand up real quick. Thanks for the call, by the way, Bruce. Um, but it looks like they we didn't get a response from them. So if anyone else has a question or whatever, before we get ready to close out, we got about 10 minutes left in the show. Uh, Chuck, you want to tell us you got anything else going on up your way that you might want to inform us about and tell us about while we got some little time? Well, um, I'll tell you what, we've had a great winter as far as weather. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's just interesting times uh, in both countries. We're watching. I think Canadians are paying an awful lot of attention to your election uh, because the outcome uh, always has an effect on us, one way or another, um, and it's just we just went through one here. Now the outcome of our election is never, um, you know, we're so different politically than you guys are. Uh, first of all, in Canada, nobody ever gets voted in; they get voted out. And uh, where mm. Americans also are, they seem to be born either Democrat or Republican. Canadians switch. Uh, none of us, as a rule, are true blue to anything, and that's one. You know, that's the difference. And I think the outcome of this election will have a lot. Um, it'll certainly shape the the future of the United States and Canada, who your president is. Uh, you know, it come November. So I think everybody here is paying pretty close attention to it. Um, we are definitely into some interesting times, and I think one of the things I'm telling people is just. Get ready and watch your costs. Um, streamline your business. That's so important. You know, if you've got some extra costs you're incurring that you really don't need to incur, cut those costs. You know, if you've got a flatbed trailer in your backyard and you use it once a year, maybe you ought to think about selling it. You know, and things like that. And, you know, I work with a lot of people in this industry and up here especially but even in the states and and that's my advice to everyone um we could this thing could blow over and i'm hoping it does um but chances are it won't and we will survive it because people do need trucks to get their product to market and if you're a good operator you'll survive it well if you're a great operator you may not feel a thing and that's one of the things i do notice when we get into recessionary times the the best operators they come out of these things even stronger so you got to watch your debt um if you don't need to go and buy a new truck then don't buy a new truck you know keep the old one don't do un- any unnecessary repairs and make sure for god's sakes you're getting paid uh that i can't stress strong enough that you've got to make sure you're surrounded whether it's you're dealing with customers directly or you're dealing with load brokers make sure you've got good ones that are paying you because that's so important you don't want to work for nothing i think we've all been through that one time or another 
And just going back real quickly, uh, um, I know a lot of people may be that do know their cost and understand, you know, if you happen to be at home and you're not doing anything because you're not doing it as far as spot market rates are not really all that great, don't just sit around and don't do anything. Um, Great opportunity to try and take advantage to try to go out there and build you a direct customer base to help insulate you from the uh, volatility of the spot market rates. Um, You know, go ahead and look into, you know, now may be a perfect time to look into developing that dumbbell concept that we've we've talked about so much here on the show, Um, looking into certain areas where um, you can develop and establish a, a, a service area that you're focused on and uh, that could give you, lead you a whole lot towards controlling your costs because you understand where you can get fuel at exactly on that lane, um, knowing where your your, your service providers are if you need to get maintenance done to your truck or whatever, establishing that relationship, and you're seeing them on a more often basis versus just once a month whenever you come in or whatever. You know, just maybe want to consider uh taking the bull by the horns and going out there and see if you can't rustle up some direct paying customers other than dealing with the uh, poultry rates that, that are being uh, shown right now on these uh, low boards. You know, to add to uh, that, Rico, maybe that, it's time. Uh, some of our listeners, if they're, you know, if they have the opportunity, uh, great time when you get into these times is to look at the LTL market. And when I say LTL, I'm not talking about traditional LTL. I'm talking about the partial load market. Um, We've talked about that before on this show. When things are tough, customers won't necessarily buy a full load of widgets. They'll buy two or four skids. And if you do what, if the people do exactly what you're telling them and, and they can develop a lane, okay, and it can be the beauty of LTL, it can be a mixture of your freight, your own direct customer freight, and broker freight. And you know, you do that dumbbell concept and you run between, um, you know, New York and Philly or, or wherever, uh, Chicago and Des Moines, and you can build loads both ways. And I think that especially when you get into these times, if times do get real tough, there'll be more opportunities there because people buy less. Right, right. Yeah, I had a couple of people that had their hands up, but we're getting no responses on those lines. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.